Heavenly Father, we are here to worship you, and uh, as we as we come to worship you, we acknowledge that uh, so little of what that means is is what we have to offer you, our praise and our thanks. Uh, yet we give all that we can, but we realize, Lord, that when we come to worship you, the the main thing that's happening is that you're coming to us, that you're bringing your gifts to us, and that you're forgiving our sins, that you're giving us new life. And uh, so be with us today as uh, we meditate on your word and, and as we seek to learn from. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. May God's grace and, and peace and mercy be yours uh, from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our King, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So, uh, as we've kind of been talking about today, as, as we were sort of reminded of last week, uh, Christmas doesn't end on, on Christmas Day. That's actually when it starts. Uh, there's 12 days of Christmas. It's not just this whimsical holiday song, but it's actually a, a season of the church year, the 12 days of Christmas. And uh, yesterday happened to be the 12th day of Christmas. And so, today, as we've been talking about and celebrating already, is Epiphany. And Epiphany is a very special, very important day in the church's calendar uh, because Epiphany is the time to celebrate, to, to marvel at how God has revealed himself to us in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. Over the years, the, the church has used Epiphany, kind of the day and the season, to celebrate a number of different ways in which God has revealed himself to us in Jesus, uh, kind of the majesty and the divinity of Jesus. Um, from the kind of the birth of Christ to the, the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River to, can you tell what that last one is? Kind of small. It's the wedding of, at Cana where Jesus turned water into wine. These, these are all kind of epiphany celebrations. Uh, but kind of the main one that we usually celebrate during epiphany and the, the one that we're going to focus on today is the coming of the Magi uh, to meet Jesus and, and to come and to worship him. Uh, today's also the first day um, in a, a five-week sermon series that I'm calling The Revealing, as we kind of take Epiphany and, and let that season guide our thinking and, and our discussion and, and our meditation for the next several weeks. So we're, we're kind of going to be looking at all those different events that we talked about already, uh, how God shed his light on the earth uh, in Christ. Um, as we talk about that, that shining of, of God's light onto us, as I was considering this series, I actually had a friend uh, suggest a different title to me that I thought would be very fitting with kind of the, the star and the wise men coming. Um, the Shining? That's maybe kind of a good title, but I thought about it and I, I rejected that suggestion for uh, what I hope are obvious reasons. So we're going with The Revealing, and today uh, we're talking about The Magi. Now, these early worshipers, some of the first worshipers of, of the Son of God, are also some of the, the most misunderstood characters in the Bible. Uh, their presence is, is just ubiquitous in manger scenes everywhere. You know, you kind of have this traditional picture. You have, have the manger, Mary, Joseph, Jesus in the manger. You've got the shepherds on one side, and then you've got the, the magi on the other side, the, the wise men, these three royal figures who've come to bring their, their royal gifts uh, to the newborn king. It's a very nice, it's, it's a very familiar, it's a, it's a very comforting picture. But it's not very biblical. And I believe that that's important to talk about. 
not just because we should always test everything that, that we know and think against the scriptures, but also because the true biblical picture gives us, I think, so much more insight, so much more opportunity to, to learn and to grow in our faith. Uh, so what I'd like to do first is just address a few misconceptions about the Magi. Uh, were they present that night at the manger? Yes or no? No, they weren't. Um, in fact, the text that we just heard from Matthew chapter 2 says that, that when they finally got there, they, they came into the house where they were staying and they saw Jesus and his mother Mary. Apparently, by the time they arrived, the, the manger has gone back into service as a feeding trough for the animals. Probably most of the crowds had left Bethlehem and, and the Holy Family had found a house to stay in. Well, how about the idea of the Magi being kings, like we three kings of Orient are. What do you think, yes or no? Not quite as sure on this one, are we? The answer here is also pretty clearly no. Uh, the Greek term magoi, which is what the, the magi are, are called, um, it's actually the word magi basically, refers to kind of this, this whole swath of people who are really interested in kind of dreams and magic and the stars, kind of astronomy and, and astrology type stuff. Uh, the Magi in, in Babylonian and Persian history were very often advisors to kings, but they were very clearly not kings themselves. How about uh, this? How many of them were there? You guys know this, right? How many were there? Three. Maybe. We're actually not told how many magi there were. We're told that they brought three gifts, right? So we don't know if there were three of them or there were maybe more or something like that. We don't really know for sure. So all of these misconceptions, I, I think, are kind of important, at least, to clear up. And uh, maybe you already knew all of that. But I would say that the most important misconception to clear up, and certainly the most surprising, is the nature of these so-called wise men. Some have called them representatives of the best wisdom of the Gentile world, Eastern intellectuals who represent the best of pagan lore and religious perceptivity. This is why the Magi have, again, almost ubiquitously, just all over the place, been referred to as wise men. Even in our own ESV translation, they take the, the word Magi and they translate it as wise men. But the question that I'd like to pose today is the one found in your sermon outline. Were the Magi wise men or naive fools? Now that question might come as, as quite a shock to you. Of course they were wise men, right? But what exactly made them wise? They never would have found Jesus without God specifically guiding them with a special star. More on that later. Then, they end up going to King Herod, literally the worst person in the world to go to and ask about the newborn king of the Jews. More on that later too. And then, this Herod successfully dupes them until God warns them in a dream not to go back to him. So in his narrative, Matthew, in fact, does not seem to be portraying the Magi as wise men at all, but as fundamentally ignorant. That's exactly the point. The Magi are not wise men, but naive fools who, who stumble upon Jesus, not because their own wisdom leads them there, but only because God graciously chooses to reveal him to them. 
One scholar points out that whenever the learning of the Magi was addressed in the early church all the way through the Middle Ages, quote, it was universally denounced. Their so-called science or art was regarded as false knowledge, even as a false religion. When Magi are mentioned in the Old Testament or, or in Jewish literature of the time, they are never considered wise. Their, their whole kind of obsession with magic and with star searching is, is considered by God's people to, to be completely incompatible with faith in the one true God. God's people consider them to be superstitious fools who look for knowledge in all the wrong places. And this is exactly who Matthew tells us found and worshipped Jesus. We are supposed to stop and say, wait, what? What are they doing here? So why is this so important? I believe Matthew has a very clear purpose in introducing us to the Magi because I believe God had a very clear purpose in introducing the Magi to Jesus. The fact that these superstitious, foolish, naive seekers found Jesus means that we can find him too. Even better, if God would reveal his son to the Magi, then just maybe he would deign to reveal his son to us too. Because we're not all that different from the Magi. We often get carried away by, by worldly wisdom that is no real wisdom at all. We believe way too much of, of what we read on the internet. Sometimes we find ourselves looking for truth in all the wrong places. And we often think far too highly of our own ability to find God or to please God. In our sin, we are every bit as ignorant, foolish, and naive as the Magi. If God would mercifully reveal the Christ to them, then we can rest assured that he will to us also. So how did God reveal Jesus to the Magi? Well, first and, and primarily with, with the star, right? There's been a lot of speculation on exactly what this star was. Uh, some people suggested that it was Halley's Comet. Some people think it was the convergence of Jupiter and Saturn. Other people think it was a, a supernova that some Chinese astronomers spotted in 5 BC. But, but none of these really line up uh, either with kind of the, the timeline or with really the behavior of this star, how, how it guides the Magi uh, until it comes to rest specifically on the place where the child was. So the best explanation really just seems to be the one that Matthew gives us, uh, that it was a miracle sent by God for the sake of the Magi. In fact, in, in verse 9, after they've been with Herod and, and the star kind of goes before them, leads them to Bethlehem, um, this word behold kind of is a signal that, that something surprising is happening, something unusual, something out of the ordinary that doesn't just happen you know, via natural phenomenon. It's a very shocking and unusual thing for the star to, to go before them and guide them on the six-mile journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So we may not know exactly what the star looked like or, or even exactly what it was, but we do know that it was from God and that it guided the Magi to the Christ. Just one chapter earlier, um, God had graciously revealed his plan of salvation to Joseph, when he had absolutely no idea what was going on, when he had no hope of understanding God's plan without God's help. So here also, God overcomes the, the ignorance of human beings with divine revelation 
transcending normal expectations with hidden realities. As Jesus himself will say to the Father later in Matthew's gospel, you hid these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to infants, to people like the Magi, people like you and me. The Christmas star, as it's sometimes called, or the Epiphany star would really be a better name for it. But the star is there to teach us that we don't find Jesus on our own. But God's not given us a miraculous star in the sky to reveal Jesus to us. He's given us something far better. He's given us his own spirit. And that spirit points us to the Christ. That spirit entered into our hearts in baptism when we were washed with Christ's blood and forgiven of all our sins. That spirit has given us the gift of faith. And that spirit is God himself who so wants us to know him and his love to recognize the the loving and compassionate kingship of the one whom God the Father sent to save us. Speaking of kings, um, in our text for today, two kings are mentioned. The first um, is King Herod. The the second mentioned is this king of the Jews that, um, that the Magi are seeking. But it's the first king that's mentioned, King Herod, whose official title bestowed on him by the Roman Senate is actually... King of the Jews. Now, we don't have nearly enough time to to say kind of everything I want to say about King Herod, but basically, he ruled with an iron fist. His rule was was brutal and uncompromising. Um, It was also deeply resented by the people. And so Herod himself, especially in his later years, became incredibly paranoid. He ended up killing his wife, uh, killing a couple of his sons, whom he suspected of plotting against him. And so when the Magi kind of come bumbling into Jerusalem, asking where the new king of the Jews had been born, uh, Herod, understandably, was troubled. It's kind of an understatement. And all of Jerusalem with him. Visited by these Magi, these advisors to kings, Herod the king goes to his advisors and, and asks them, where the Messiah is to be born. And and these advisors, on the basis of the scriptures, specifically the prophet Micah, tell him that the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod duplicitously sends the the Magi on this reconnaissance mission and uh, tells them to find the the king of the Jews, this Messiah, uh, so that he too can come and and murder him. I I mean, worship him, right? We know that Herod's murderous plans uh, do not succeed. Gregory the Great would say that, that Herod symbolizes all those today who falsely seeking after the Lord never managed to find him. But the great tragedy of our text for today is not just Herod's animosity toward Jesus, but his people's indifference to their true king. The chief priests and scribes know where the Messiah is to be born. They've just heard the Magi proclaiming to the whole city that it's happened. And they remain woefully indifferent. And 30-something years later, it's the same group that will condemn Jesus to die. And as he's nailed to a cross, so is a sign with his formal charge. Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Well, Jesus is the true king of the Jews, foretold by scripture, sought and worshipped by the Magi. And he's also the king of the whole world. The appearance of the Magi here may be shocking, 
But far more shocking is the appearance of Jesus to the Magi, to Gentiles. At Jesus' birth, the religious teachers who knew the most failed to act on the truth, while the pagans, whom one would never expect to find the Jewish Messiah, did just that. As Isaiah prophesied in our Old Testament reading, nations shall come to your light. In the Magi, the nations came to Jesus, and Jesus was coming to the nations. Paul rejoices in this incredible turn of events in our epistle lesson, where he says that the mystery of Christ is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul is just beside himself with joy that that Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews, Israel's Messiah, has also come to save the whole world. And the Magi are overjoyed as well. The Greek phrase is hard to do justice that that describes how they felt when they saw the star lead them to Bethlehem. The ESV says that they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Another translation says they rejoiced with extremely strong joy. Our Lutheran study Bible says that Matthew piles one expression of joy on another to emphasize the Magi's feelings. Well, how do you feel that that Jesus has come for the whole world. He's come for you. How does it make you feel that God has revealed his glory in this little boy worshipped by the Magi and, and that you get to worship him too? That you get to bring your, your gifts to him as the Magi did? What does it mean to you that, that he would consider you worthy of his eternal love and redemption? That this king would give up his life to rescue you from sin and death? Throughout the Epiphany season, we're reminded that that God reveals his saving ways in Jesus to unlikely recipients, you and I being great cases in point. God revealed his Messiah, our Messiah, by by dreams, by a star, and, and by the scriptures. But he's not done revealing Jesus to the world. And he has a way today that is every bit as shocking as the presence of the Magi in Matthew 2. He wants to use us. Paul says in Ephesians that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is made known. Do you know who Paul's referring to there where he, where he says church? Yeah, he's, he's talking about St. Lawrence. He's talking about the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's talking about the, the Holy Christian Church, all believers throughout time and, and throughout the world. But when you read this, I think what God wants you to hear is that Paul's referring first and and foremost to you. You are the church. You are a member of the community of faith washed by the blood of Christ. And together we are called to, to make known the coming of God in the flesh. To make known his salvation to all people. We are the ones who now shine because of Christ. Because Christ has been revealed to us and given to us as the very greatest gift. And we are the ones through whom God now has chosen to manifest his Christ. To reveal Jesus and his plan of salvation to the whole world. So people of God, arise, shine. For your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Your King 
has bled and died and been raised for you. So with the Magi, let us shine like a star with our words and actions as God continues the revealing of his son through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Next week, uh, we're going to be taking a look at the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. Until then, may the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.